I'm Derek. And I'm Drew. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brain better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. All right, Derek, I'm wiping the tears away from my eyes. It's time to talk about some of the, the lighter, the sadder moments here in Hunger Games. back to wonder tour we're on the 25th episode today um it's the quarter well and today we're going to be talking about katniss everdeen and we're going to be doing a deep dive on the empathy uh that she exhibits uh for you know all the different players in the game and uh all right well i'm just going to toss it over to drew here and let him take it away Let's talk about, you know, this, this feels like it, it relates to my real life in some ways uh, a little bit more closely than I'd like. But let's talk about empathy and what Katniss's superpower is. I think uh, empathy, you know, being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and, and go through it. I think the, the, all the tributes can definitely do that. Right. But I think Katniss does, does a much better job at that. Uh, and then, you know, obviously from a sympathy standpoint, I know we're not touching on sympathy, but sympathy is, speak, is going through things from your own perspective and being with others. And I can say, like, with them all being within the same game, within that piece, they can be sympathetic and empathetic towards each other. But I do like the empathy um, angle that for this because Katniss is just that she you can see it in her eyes. You can see it in how she how she carries herself like she's not she don't has, doesn't have to say it. You can definitely tell she feels it. And I think that's what I like uh, about Katniss and, and, and how she carries herself. Derek, I want to hear what you what you think about Katniss and what, what her what you love about Katniss. <laughs> I was going to say that the, uh, the character of Katniss, I'm pretty sure she's an Enneagram four because she is uh, moody and she. Um, uh, the best way and, and authentic. So the best way that I heard her describe that in uh, the story was that she was on the stage and they were like, well, those flames looked really real. And, you know, you're the girl on fire, you know? And she's like, yeah, I was hoping I wasn't going to burn to death. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think that's something an authentic person says, um, you know, where you're just like, yeah, this is what I was afraid of, you know? Um, and I saying that and being that naive and that I think that is the beginning of her endearing. Did she do that on purpose? No, I think she lucked into this, uh, this, um, 
the endearing relationship that she ended up with with the outside world, um, which ended up being, you know, very helpful to her. Right. So I think that's that's my take on the character is that, you know, she strives to always be authentic. Uh, I think you should throw the sword up the tree. Right. <laughs> you can't seem to hit me with the arrows. So why don't you try the sword? You know, um, you know, when she tells the tells that to Cato. Right. So is it a mocking a little bit? But at the same time, she's also like saying what she's thinking. Um, and so I think it it plays well, even when she's, you know, kind of uh, being competitive, too. So I think that's what we like about her. You know, we we would we wish people would say some of the things that she says, uh, because playing games in that regard is no fun. <laughs> I like that she wears her heart on her sleeve. <laughs> She's always always getting emotional about things and willing to, you know, like you were saying, she's authentic. She, she tells people like it is. Remember she, she tells PETA to go throw the bag or whatever, right. When he's getting made fun of, cause he falls off the net. She feels very strongly about her convictions and she sticks to her convictions. She's the rare character. Well, rare ish character in Western media that truly is pure. she, in this movie, she's not very conflicted. She has her convictions. She sticks to her convictions and it gets her through. Normally we get a conflicted character that, that resi- resides in the gray area. And then you hope at the end they emerge into the light and they make the right decisions and they atone for their past mistakes. And it all comes full circle. Yeah. E- even when she has to do something like, you know, I think of that scene with, with Rue, right. Where she, she, she cuts Rue out of the the netting, and the 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 other tribute comes up and was gonna it was it was do or die right, and she had to act kind of swiftly. You can even tell in that moment when she and then she lost she loses Rue, and um you can definitely tell it kind of shifted for her a little bit. So that's why I really like like even when she does something like that killing a tribute, it's like man you can be like well i i get it she didn't really mean to she was just in that moment so i I thought that was really interesting so that's why i kind of like her too because even when she does something that you know she has to do you can kind of justify maybe that's the word i'm looking for you can justify why she did what she did she brings yeah you're absolutely right she shows remorse for her action immediately even though she had to do it and that's you know we've asked ourselves we've all have probably we get in that moral justification zone where we're like is this okay in this situation it's very hard to tell what the wisdom is here it's you know normally in most situations i wouldn't think that you should do this but in this situation you know is the real loving thing to do to give somebody the hard truth or to you know do i need to stage an intervention do i need to you know, do I need to kind of go against the grain of how normally I would do things? It's so hard, but she shows us one model of how you can deal with that, which is that maybe, you know, in the moment you do, you're forced to make a hard decision. You're forced to make a play that you normally wouldn't make in the game because it's not really congruent with your character. But the way that you, the, the way that you kind of come to resolution or that Katniss does in that Rue moment is she shows remorse immediately. She doesn't let that, you know, the killing of the other tribute define her. And that's like, I want to take it back for just a split second here to Star Wars, where 
the the goal of the Sith, right? The Sith have ever since Darth Bane a rule of two. The rule of two is designed, you know, very specifically for this reason to consolidate power and to create a monster. Basically, it creates power it, and creates dark power, really, because the only way to advance in that ladder is to kill the person above you. So they, it, it's always kind of creating this conflict that tries to create more power for itself by killing the one, you know, killing the other person, which in, inherently means that now more power has been created. And then you kind of suck another person into this system. And then either you kill that person or they kill you. And it kind of creates more and more power. And you see, like with the emperor and Luke, he's, you know, strike me down and you'll be, you'll become, you know, and I will become more powerful, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Wait, that, I'm mixing all this up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's Obi-Wan talking to the Emperor. The Emperor has a very similar line in in Jedi where he he wants him to he wants Luke to strike him down. And it kind of compl- would complete Luke's conflicted journey to the dark side, just like Anakin has, uh, just like em- the Emperor convinces Anakin to do. That's what we're seeing here, right? It's like there is. We want to get back to I want to get back to character development here for a second, because Katniss has some really pretty incredible character. Her character is so hinged on empathy and compassion. She cares about every other tribute. She cares about all the people in the game. And because of that, she she makes these moves that make people love her. She makes these moves that form alliances, but not the type of alliances that are built on power dynamics, but the type of alliances that will get you a, a get out of jail free card like she has when when the guy could kill her. But instead, he spares her because of how she interacted with Rue and the relationship that she had with Rue. So that character development is so important for us. And we cannot we talked before, but you each action forms your character, it forms habits which form character. So we have to be so careful that our actions don't form bad character or start us down the trajectory to the dark side, the side, you know, dark triad character attributes and stuff like that. And that's exactly what what the bad guys want you to do. They want you to kill. And, and instead of being remorseful and going through the pain of that action, they want you to instead to, to suppress it, because when you suppress it, that's how you become like Cato. That's how you start to justify it to yourselves. That's the difference between multi-layered and single-layered, right? I think um, that's definitely the, the 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 idea that we see with Cato versus Katniss character. And you know, you talk about empathy. There's there's three different components when you think of empathy. There's the cognitive, the emotional, and the compassionate. And we see Katniss, you know, tapping into each each of these three in how she carries herself. You know, cognitive in the sense that she she simply knows how the other person is feeling. She simply knows what what the tributes are going through because she's there with them. She knows that emotionally. She's definitely feeling that, too, as well, right, because she's it's kind of like she's physically going through it as well. So her, her emotions as well. And then also compassionate. You know, she she's compassionate. You can see how she cares for even the other tributes. Uh, so she definitely um, has that layer of character development. And I think that's why we're kind of drawn to her, because at some at some in our depths and our core, we feel the same way too as well. We just don't, we just, and when we see it being played out, we see these things in this person that we see in ourselves and our potential, but most of the times we don't lean into that. We see Katniss lean into those things each and every step and, and we, 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 we're drawn to that and we see her growing and that's when we, we root for her, you know, even in to, to, to do the things that we ourselves wouldn't do. And I think that's just a reflection on, on what we see in ourselves being portrayed out and on the big screen, you know. And I think 
you guys have done really good on the Wonder Tour to kind of not just keep it to the movies, but kind of apply it to your lives and apply it to how you, you know, things that you do. And just in, from just working things, you got to know when to be in the weeds. You got to know when to be above the weeds. And you got to know when to kind of bring people to your level. And I think that's all part of, of being a great leader is re recognizing those stages and how you can do that. And, and Katniss does that well. And we like it. By the way, we are uh, we're continuing in the second week here with our uh, guest, Danny. Um, this has been an, it was an awesome first episode and, and we're continuing in the second episode. Thank you for those uh, thoughts, Danny. And we kind of launched into it there because we were just rearing to go. And and uh, and that's that's cool. That's part of the Wonder Tour, too. So. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate your thoughts, uh, on, uh, on Katniss there, Danny, and, and, and kind of why we're, why we're even studying that in the first place. Right. Um, what do you guys think about flipping it and asking the question, why doesn't Cato have empathy? And there's more to it than just, he's trained to be a killer his whole life. Right. Cause I would say he's the anti Katniss. They're only split by one point in the whole board. And yet he's, you know, like the one point that separates them is all her empathy and all her character. Is that what we're saying from a game maker's point of view? So why doesn't he have, why doesn't he have empathy? Why doesn't he pursue empathy? Because I think there's a lesson here for ourselves as well when we're not pursuing it. I think it, I think it does go back to how he was trained up as much as we want to peel back and see if there's another layer to him. Um, I would say like he doesn't pursue it because it wasn't a primary focus for him. Like we can't we can't pursue what we're not we don't have a, a drawing or pulling to, right? Katniss didn't really have any type of, in my opinion, like it it came natural to her. Like it wasn't something that she had to be trained on. And sometimes when people train us on things, we our instinct sometimes get kind of buried within, buried deeper. Because we're kind of trained, we're kind of modeled, we're, 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 we're in this kind of regimented process. So we react. Like, you know, when something goes off, we react, right? Uh, I think of, like, soldiers as they're doing things. They're trained to do things. When they hear gunshots, their bodies do different things. Whereas a normal, you know, so it's, it goes back to that a little bit as much as, you know, we kind of want to stay away from that. But for me, I, I think there's probably more to his character. Uh, we kind of see a little bit of glimpse of it towards the end when he's like, you know, he's kind of crying and he, he's, he's in that moment, right? And I think um, that that's kind of the things I, I see off of him is that I think his intuitions, his instincts, his kind of buried in, has been buried. Not that he can't be. I think that he, he's just kind of programmed. I hate to, hate to use that word, but that's kind of how, how, how I see him. So let's look at that moment at the end then where they're standing on top of like that pod and they have uh they have the dogs that are down there you have Peta and Cato and Katniss the last three standing and Cato kind of has this monologue almost it, there is a little bit of a back and forth but he almost has this you know classic final monologue before he dies I think he reveals a lot of his character in that monologue so there is a slight conflictedness to him you can tell by the emotion on him. The the emotion is slightly genuine. It's not just because he's losing. He says, I, I he realizes that he wasn't going to win, right? He realizes that, like, he has this slight regret. So I think maybe what we could try to take away from that is that 
humans naturally have a bit of empathy. We humans seemingly naturally have a bit of empathy. I, I, I don't have the science behind this, so I'm not trying to to suggest that I'm right here. I'm saying I think humans have a little bit. We see it with kids. Kids tend to have some empathy, but in other ways, kids have very little empathy and they struggle with it <laughs> a lot. So I think empathy is more so a skill than it is a a trait that you just have inherently though I do think all humans have a little bit of empathy kind of baked into us uh, even, you know, as at a young age, but more so it's a skill that Katniss has owned over the course of time. She has owned it by working with her, her sister Primrose and with all the people in district 12 where, you know, she has to, she lives out of pretty humble life hunting and gathering and, as a result, she's really honed this empathy of just feeling for people and sharing what she has with them, where Cato is built in this District 1 where he's never really trained in empathy. So I think the one takeaway we can have for us as we're trying to become magnanimous leaders is that we have to train ourselves in empathy. And none of us are really good enough at it yet. At least I'm definitely not. Yeah, I, I, I want to add to it because something came to mind as you were talking about looking at contrasting Cato and, and, and Katniss. And we see this and we I don't know I don't think we touched on this yet, but Katniss had to fulfill a role of caring for her sister at a much younger age. We don't have the history of that, but when she's leaving, she told her mom, like, hey, you you you've got to step up. You got to step up and do this and, and take care of Prim, right? Because so she's kind of she had to kind of adopt that 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 figure of like caring. And I think that's what you're leaning into. Like, you know, it's a developed skill. And 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 as we think of our kids, how do we teach our kids to have empathy? How do we how do we model that for them? And I think you're right. Uh, Cato might not have had that, so that skill is less developed as it is in Katniss, where it's more developed, and she can she can see and empathize with people as she kind of goes goes about the game. Well, and I, and I would say that this is the innateness of uh, being an Enneagram Four is that you deep dive in emotions all the time. So whether she knew that or not, I have a theory that most fours don't know. I, I am a four, so <laughs> I had an awakening moment where I realized like that I had those superpowers. Um, but uh, most fours, I have a theory that they don't really realize that. Um, the other thing is too here is that you got Cato. He, he is a pure eight uh, completely all challenge. Um, I mean, I'm open to challenge on that actually, but I, I think that's the case um, where it's just forge ahead, right? Um, and, and you know, it's incumbent on each of us to try to overcome uh, at some level. And, and this is the task as, you know, depending on what Enneagram type you are, um, you know, I would say, or just whatever your personality type, I don't care what system you want to use, but how do you overcome the natural tendencies? Uh, in Katniss's case, I think her natural tendency was to become emotional, so she had to overcome her emotions. Um, so, I mean, we can talk about that for a second, but I think the lesson that I'm learning here is, and I try to always push myself to overcome the internal momentum that pulls me a certain way. Because it may not be, you know, leaders don't want to do the easy thing. Am I wrong? I think good leaders want to do the right thing, whether it's easy or hard, right? I think um, 
that's that's always something that I try to keep in the in the back of my mind. Like something might be easy to do or something might be difficult to do, but what's right, what's the right thing to do? I think that's that's the that's a differentiating factor, I think, when it comes to being a good leader and a great leader. Part of that I, I want to bring in now is so you talked about kind of three pieces of empathy, cognitive, emotional, and compassionate, Danny. So the cognitive layer is in my experience, the one that people start with, and rightfully so, it seems, and gravitate to mostly. A lot of people that I've encountered only have a cognitive empathy. The empathy is logic-based, rules-based, based on equality, based on based on understanding of life situation, things like that. But they stop themselves at doing the hard thing or the right thing, which is having emotional empathy for somebody. Why? I don't know, but I would maybe speculate because emotional empathy is taxing. It's emotional empathy is very hard. If every time you're driving down the street and, you know, a homeless person walks up to your car and asks you for money, if you don't, it's easier not to feel for that person. Just be like, okay, this is just another X and O on the chalkboard of my life and the process that's going on here. You have cognitive empathy for them and you say like, you know, that's that really sucks that they're in that situation. But the emotional empathy, you don't let it out because you only feel like you can let out emotion so often. And it's just, you know, I don't know. I'm just speaking from the shoes of a of a man in Western culture here. So I can't speak for everybody in every culture and every different different situation. But to me, it does feel like that's kind of the norm is to not have emotional empathy because that's giving away too much. I think you're right. I think it um it it we we can all have cognitive empathy because it doesn't cost us anything, right? It's to think about it. But when we have to do emotional, okay, well now now I have to give a little bit of myself. And I think that's the rub. That's where it kind of gets difficult. And that's where a lot of a lot of people um, don't become that great leader, keeping it from a leader standpoint, like, because we we just want to cognitive, cognitively be there with you. And I don't think you can do emotional all the time, though, but you got to be willing to do it. And I think that's that's the key difference. Are we willing to get to the emotional side of things or we just want to stay at that cognitive level? I think that's the question that we kind of, we're kind of faced with. And yeah, and I, w- I would add on that is that getting to your the com- uh, compassion part, right? I think that's where you risk looking undignified as a leader and very few are willing to go there, right? Even fewer. So it's almost like a funnel down. Um, I, I personally uh, struggle showing the outward, you know, sometimes and really it's not just a vulnerability like, Oh man, I'm late to the gym some days, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, you, you, you have these red herrings that you throw out. You're, you're like, there's red herring vulnerability, and then there's real vulnerability, right? Um, and and I think that that I don't know with Katniss, I think we do get, and it, this is something you got to keep in mind the whole time you're watching the movie, which is this entire forest is instrumented. Uh, the entire forest has cameras, and I kept trying to think about this while I was watching it. Um, everyone's watching every intimate moment that happens uh in the movie right like everything that happens on that game board you know they're watching so they caught all this they caught all these different moments um and so she has several undignified moments right um 
we don't get the other player. You know, we don't see that with the other players. I'll just leave it at that unless you guys want to take that apart. But um, I guess I just want to, you know, like I said, I want to hit this compassion piece and say that that's the hardest place to go. What do you guys think? I love that. That was a great point to make. I didn't catch that. You know, I think maybe in the back of my mind, I caught it while I was watching it, but I didn't write it down. Yeah. It's even harder when you've got the whole nation watching you on TV 24-7 to be emotional, to go through that process. And Katniss does kind of, you can see the, there's different levels of emotion that she portrays in different situations but emotion, displaying that emotion is really hard for most people in, in at least I can, again, I, I say this so often, but I can speak for Western culture more than anything else, because uh, I do know there's significant cultural differences in the world, and it, that may not be the case in, in, in each different culture. But there is such a challenge with being emotional, and, and the, you need to be emotional to lead to compassion, to truly have compassion, to feel like you're actually seeing something from somebody else's perspective, you have to let yourself into that emotional aspect. You have to unleash it. And the most obvious way to look at it maybe is like tears, right? It's not always tears, but a lot of times when you're emotional, there are tears, whether it's happy, you know, sad, whatever, you you end up like your tears welling up in your eyes. And we see that with Katniss multiple times, that she is willing to let herself get emotional, even though Many people in this like Cato would never get emotional because that would cost him something, right? It would cost him visibility to the rest of the group. It would cost him, you know, his eyes might not be able to see as well as a hunter in the in the environment. It would cost him time. You know, he's not going to sit there and and even for somebody that he cares about, he's not going to make a, you know, a funeral pyre for them. You know, I know there's not a real funeral pyre, but you know what I mean, where she does, you know, she puts the flowers for Rue and stuff like that. Good. Um Oh, man. I mean, I don't know where we want to go next. I'm just like really I'm thinking that this is some really good stuff just, you know, on on empathy that I mean, I hadn't really even thought too deeply about uh, until now. Um, I really like that Danny brought those three points about empathy there. Um, It hurts. Empathy hurts. Costumes. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's the sum total explanation of where the energy expenditure goes. That's what I love about this uh, because I have, I've spent a lot of energy on it in my life. And, and really as a four, I mean, I got to tell you from a four's perspective, a four doesn't look at it like this. Uh, this helps a lot, but this, this is not how a four looks at it. They look at it symbolically. It's really just how much energy am I expending right now? <laughs> because you're swimming in the sea of empathy all the time. And it, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot. Um, but let's, let's flip the script on empathy now and, and kind of get to uh, maybe some of uh, the more strategic stuff on, you know, how does she use empathy to infer the rules? Uh, because I thought that that was something that we were kind of kicking around. And I thought, wow, that was, you know, it could it could have some interesting stuff uh, in it. So uh, what do you think, Drew? Oh, it's a little bit of a transition here to be going from the empathy and hurting and emotional side of it to the game theory side of it. So give me one second here. I'll pass it over to Danny while I compose myself. <laughs> and we're just collecting our tears over here, you know, just <laughs> before we transition over. But um, but yeah, I think um, so you're asking about how she uses that to, within the rules of the game or to 
kind of even create new rules and well to push the envelope on the rules in a sense right is that is that is that how you're framing it up Derek yeah yeah I mean I, I think that one thing is she you know you know as far as inferring the rules you know when let's let's have empathy for her and realize that she doesn't have access to a lot of information uh, that she's in this game the only thing that she sees she hears the cannon ball thing right the cannon blast and then she sees like in the sky another number drops um there are announcements that she can hear she had the experience before with the sponsors etc but other than that she really doesn't have any other information about the game makers so you know i realized sorry it was a hard it's a hard turn there but you know as we want to hit a couple of things in this episode i wanted to to get there so um you know so now she's in the mode of okay what what are some rules that i can exploit about this game um you know like all this stuff that's going on with empathy right and and all this stuff is, is happening with how she feels about the other players how she feels about uh pita etc but yet there's obviously you know this other piece of it that she's like i mean what leads her to the nightlock fairies right let's go towards that because that's kind of what i'm what i've been uh crunching on here yeah i i i do think like the the game that she's playing in a sense with peter is an, is an interesting one right I, I feel like peter is he's all in like he is like he really has feelings for you. he really is is whereas she finds herself in this and and i think somewhere along the way she recognizes that that their love or their to get like being together is is a way that she can use to kind of help either get sponsors have other people be empathetic towards them in the game and and we see that we get some of the fruits of that so i think that's interesting that's one angle of it i that i see that she kind of uses that to kind of get some things in the in in the way that she plays so from an empathy perspective, yeah, I think she she does a good job of empathizing with all the other players in the game, number one, especially especially PETA and Rue. That clearly pays off. So I'm kind of interpreting your question more, Derek, as how is empathy a winning strategy here? Um, because on the surface level, empathy does not seem to be a winning strategy strategy at all. But from a long game and a back game perspective, it is a winning strategy because she's playing the larger game. She, number one, she's being authentic. And so anytime that you can choose a strategy or a tactic that aligns with your character or with your with your priorities, with your core values, that's really going to be helpful for you because you're going to be much more successful at pulling it off. Um, so that's an obvious, I, I, I would say an obvious thing, at least it is to me. Um, I usually try to choose strategies that align with my core values or my team's values or my you know, our skill sets and stuff like that where where possible. But she also empathizes with the game maker. She empathizes with Snow in a way maybe she doesn't get emotional about it because it's harder to get emotional when these guys are kind of staging a pretty almost a like Saw-like game that's going on here um, with her. So... But because she's able to empathize with them, she's able to, I think is what you're trying to get to, Derek, she's able to infer the back game that's being played. 
She's able to infer some of the rules of the back game outside of the. And so when we say back game, we mean like the high level back game, the outside back game, the the overall like control of society, not just the actual Hunger Games in the arena. She's able to infer some of the rules there. And she understands that there is a rule. Basically, like we were talking about before, there's some kind of a system at play that wants to keep the hope levels within a certain range, not too high, not too low. And if we do that then society continues to serve the, you know, serve the people who are, who are in charge and it doesn't uprise. There's no uprising. They can continue to live this grandiose life that they have going on. So what she understands is that the hope has to stay in that certain range and what's going to happen. And what she does with PETA is she plays on that with the empathy role. She says the people will have empathy. If both of them die, the hope will dive bomb out of the range of out of the critical range basically and the people will burn everything to the ground so she knows that the game makers cannot afford to have that happen there when i think this is a good point and i don't know maybe a question not more than a point is how do you empathize with the bad guys <laughs> oh man i think that is uh it's so important uh, for a magnanimous leader let's say in this case when you know somebody doesn't have maybe necessarily magnanimous goals um, you know, and what does that mean? Just, you know, for the good of others, you know, generally speaking, um, it is important to not be consumed with frustration, uh, with don't let, you know, the negative emotions cloud your judgment in, in studying somebody who's let's say evil in this case. So yeah, the, the clear head that she can keep uh, but I will tell you as a four, you know, I'm sure she was swimming in emotion. She just had some read and a feel, uh, for what survival looked like. And I would, I would point you to the, uh, here's what I would point you to. I would point you to the one data point that changes it all and nobody talks about it. I mean, they didn't really talk about it too much in the story, but it's the soup, right? Like, oh, it's soup. That's a lame gift, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. That's soup is a huge empathy marker for how the sponsors feel they want those two to survive right uh and so it's not just about you know getting some uh you know vulnerable moment where she's feeding him the soup because i've thought a lot about this as i was watching the movie i was like is this about her feeding the soup to him and someone can get some cheap thrill out of it or is it the fact that somebody actually wants them both to survive the game and you know, and, and if you lean into that other rule that was made, uh, and, and that's why the reversal of the rule doesn't work later. She's like, no, nah, they're not serious about that because, you know, not not based on what I know. Right. Based on what I know, I can infer that most people want us to survive, especially the sponsors. And the sponsors are a reflection somewhat of how people feel in general uh, about them in the games. Um, so that's kind of what I took away from this. Yeah, I, I like what you're tapping on there. It's kind of like, let's give the audience what they want, right? That's that's ultimately what what I, I didn't pick that up when I was watching it either. I just thought it was soup. But I think you're definitely scratching on something there where, yeah, it, it's almost like, oh, well, I got the soup. Okay, so now it's a it's like a little bit of a confirmation of what the what the what the inference was to what's actually happening. And I think that kind of helps kind of propel towards that decision in the end where you know it's like we have two victors instead of one so yeah i like that that's that's interesting good point 
how do we become empathetic? Going back to how do we teach our kids to be empathetic? Everything you were saying before, Danny, how do we get the crowd to be empathetic to us? By demonstrating it first, right? Empathy is a skill. You can empathy is just like we've talked about before. Love is recursive, as in when you love the purpose of love is not that I love someone so that they love me back. But it just so happens that love is recursive. And when you love someone, you create more love generally because they do love you back. So I think empathy works very similarly. It's recursive. So Katniss, she doesn't empathize so that she can win the game. She empathizes because that's who she is. But that empathy is then recursive. It comes back from even the game master almost to an extent, even though the game master is still playing the game, the game master is like worried that he's going to become too empathetic in this situation. I don't know if you all agree with that, but I was kind of catching that. No, you're definitely touching on something that I, that I kind of value a lot and, and what I kind of talk about outside of here uh, is, you know, we have to model it, right? Like we can demonstrate and modeling similar, similar words. Like it, it's about modeling it. And, and there's a key difference between modeling and mentoring. And I think that's something that, um, most mentors, like they, 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 they mentor for a specific thing, but they don't necessarily model what they mentor. But what you're talking about, the emotional piece right here is, is that modeling, like how, how do we model that for our kids? How, you know, asking, how do we teach it? We got to model it. And you're a model to someone, to somewhere, somehow, what are you modeling? These are the things as a character, as a leader, as a magnanimous leader, as you guys are we're all hoping to be is, how are we assessing what we're modeling when we when we kind of take take that self-reflection and look in the mirror and we think about that? And I think that's kind of what I think about what I thought about when you mentioned demonstrating, because I think that's that's key for, for every leader to know is like, hey, you're modeling something, you know, and, you know, and just like our kids, like you ask, how do you teach our kids? You got to model it. So and it's recursive to, to your point. So I think we have to kind of take stock of that. Yeah, I'm going to bring it back around the humility. Um and reconnect with that first half, which is you have to be constant looking at your motivations too. you know, when you're, when you're modeling, um, you know, and, and when you're, when you're mentoring too, but, um, you know, I just think motivation is so important in all this, uh, which I, I think we are pretty hitting pretty universally here and in sync on, you know, the fact that, you know, your motivation has to be pure because that's why we're studying Katniss as a pure character. Um, so I think this all fits and the humility in there is, I think it, let's say, let's do the empathy map on her for a second. Um, you know, we, we really, I think we want to acknowledge, uh, from her perspective is that, okay. Um, you know, I can show empathy. I can be genuine here. I can be authentic. Um, you know, and I also can reasonably take advantage of the fact that I'm figuring out some things about the outside world too. Um, but this is where motivation, I think, is a little tricky on her. I mean, I won't, I won't lean into it because it does, it's not very teachable. But um, you know, there are some things that that you can't necessarily control uh, outside of your world. Uh, and she literally is in a bubble. You know, we find that out in the second movie, you know. Um, but, you know, she can't control those things outside and she kind of takes advantage of them. But it's not necessarily a bad motivation that she's, you know, going with here. So. I don't know. I'm going to leave it at that. I don't know what you guys want to add on that one, but that's kind of where I'm, I'm leaving it. Cause I, I, if I think too deeply about it, I'm like, I end up 
in some ways I'm like, Ooh, that's kind of manipulative, but I don't think so. Like I'll just have to stop, you know? <laughs> no, it's not. Empathy is, empathy is not manipulative if done genuinely. And Katniss does it genuinely. She genuinely empathizes with PETA in a really tough way. Remember we said empathy is hard and empathy hurts and it absolutely does because Peta is like hopelessly in love with her and she's not really in return, but she empathizes with him and tries to figure out how are we going to deal with this situation? Like I'm trying to, she's trying to sit down in his shoes. She's just kind of, you know, torn up about the whole situation of how she's going to deal with that. Um, so for me though, I mean, I just think of situations where people have been empathetic to me and where I've been empathetic to other people. I was taught empathy by people that came into my life during very hard times and did not necessarily, you know, they didn't provide physical for my physical needs necessarily. Maybe they got, you know, gave me dinner or whatever, but they provided empathy. And weirdly, the empathy in and of itself is something. It's it's believing in somebody. You know, I could think of uh, <laughs> a late, late great man that I knew Steve King, who provided a, you know, just at a pivotal point in my life, came in and provided an immense amount of empathy. And he was just there. That's what he was. He was there. And that level of empathy of just being there and not being afraid to show emotion about the things that other people are going through. I mean, it, it was one of the great moments of my life where I really learned and it opened it up for me. That's like, no, empathy is not to get any, you know, empathy never is to get anything back. Empathy is because you legitimately can see yourself in this person's shoes and can feel what they feel as much as you possibly can. And as a result of it, you know, you, what you might do is you might cry or you might you might just cry with them because that's what needs to happen. Right. I could like a very sad story recently. But again, a just a context story. I like to share some stories. You know, my uh, my wife's family had to, you know, their dog reached the end of its days, unfortunately, and we had to take it to the to the vet. And, it, you know. She was just in too much pain and had to go in that moment. You know, I was there just in the room with with them. And it for me, I've only known the dog for, you know, so many years or whatever. But for them, it was a long, long time and a very deep relationship with this beloved animal. And it was just the the empathy that others had taught me in that moment. You know, I don't want to put the it wasn't about me. It was just about the fact that I couldn't help but just be in there and just cry with them, even though I didn't even know this dog that well. Because it just felt so strongly for them in that moment that like this is just I could just see it's tearing them apart and I don't have anything to provide for you. All I have is my empathy. That's it. <laughs> so I don't know where that goes, Derek, but, you know, Danny, you know, from listening that I like to bring in some personal stories where I can and just try to try to share what my experience has been. And, and hopefully that's meaningful to somebody else. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate you and I applaud you for that, because I think one of the things that you, you mentioned there, it's about being present. I think uh, that's the biggest thing that we miss. Right. Sometimes we feel like we have to know what to say. We have to have the right words. We got to do the right things. But sometimes it's about just being present as in your example, as you talked about, is just being present. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that the dog didn't really impact you as much as it impacted them, but just being present and feeling and kind of empathizing with them how they're feeling. And and that's why I think, you know, I think we all kind of gravitate towards the catness because there is this there is this innate thing about us that's deep within that that we see in her and we see reflections of ourselves in there, right? Whether we're we're working on 
either developing that out or growing or learning, whether it's through mentorship, through you know different avenues as we grow. And it all comes through experience. You know, the more you go through experiences, that's you'll learn from those things. And I think that's why uh, this character is such a such a great character, such a pure character, because it reveals something that that we know of ourselves. And and you you mentioned earlier, like, you know, Cato, right? Where was Cato's? I think it was it was there. It just wasn't like it didn't come, he didn't develop it. He didn't wasn't seeing that. And I think the more we do those, we can become better uh, magnanimous leaders as as we hope to. That's perfect, Danny. I really appreciate your thoughts there. And we just want to say thanks, man. I mean, this has been a great couple of episodes here uh, having you on as our first guest. And we were just uh, we're just thrilled with how it all turned out. And uh, we love the the angle that you brought in here. I think it's it's uh, I'll have to go back and reflect and and think about uh the the magic that you bring here to this uh, combination i i think it's uh, it's more than i have absorbed at this point um but i know that uh i've been in the presence of some good wisdom here so um yeah um all right well if you have anything to add on this episode um hit us up on the wonder tour on twitter and uh next week uh go ahead drew you can let them in on what we're doing next time <laughs> Next week will be our second rabbit hole episode. We like to have fun with these. This one is going to be the fight scene from Anchorman. So it'll be a slightly more brief episode, probably very fun. We've been having a lot of fun recently with Steve Carell in the office. We're going to we're going to tackle some brick in Anchorman. Here comes trouble. That's all I got to say about that. Um, all right. So uh, remember, uh, all those who wonder are not lost. See you next time.